ओम शक्तिवेशास्वरूपिने हरे कृष्णेति मंत्रेन पश्चच प्रचतारने विश्वचार्य प्रभाजज दिव्य कारुण्य मूर्ताये श्री भगवत माधुर्य गीत ज्ञान प्रदायने गौर श्री रूप सिद्धांत सरस्वती निषेविने राधा कृष्ण पदम भोज ब्रिंगाय गुरुवे नमः देवम दिव्यतनुम सुचंदवदनम बालाक चेलंचितम सनरानंदपुरम सदेक वरनम वैराग्य विद्यम बुधिम श्री सिद्धांत निधिम सुभक्ति लसितम सरस्वतानम वरम Pandetam Shubadam Madeka Sharanam Nyashishwaram Shridharam Shri Gauri Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai Harinam Prabhu ki jai Shri Bhakti Rakkak Shridadev Goswami Maharaj Thirubhav Mahamohatsubhati ki jai Bodh Pramanande Today we are honoring the disappearance of Om Vishnupad Maharaj, the founder of the Sri Chaitanya Saraswatmat and all of its branches, the illustrious disciple of Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur and great uh, preacher of Krishna consciousness, Harikatha, throughout the world. And he is also our Shiksha Guru, and spiritual uh, guardian who arose in our life after the setting of the sun of Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Sami Prabhupada, who rose after the setting of the sun of Prabhupada, like the soothing uh, rays of the, of the full moon to give comfort to us in uh, times of uh, separation from Srila Prabhupada and who was prompted to benedict us with those cooling rays by Srila Prabhupada himself. So an important person for us, for all of us, for all Gaudiya Vaishnavas, or actually uh, in the, uh, let us say, the international uh, world of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the most significant and important person for us. So let us talk about his life in general and gradually, more specifically, in terms of how he is influential and important to, as I say, all the Gaudiya Vaishnavas in the international world of preaching the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu today. Siddharmaraj was uh, born in the 1800s, appeared in the world in the 1800s, probably um, about two years before Srila Prabhupada Bhaktivedanta Sami appeared. And he appeared in the, what's called Gormandala, Gormandala, the larger uh, circle of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's place of pastimes. Of course, Mahaprabhu's place of pastimes extends beyond the Gormandala into Puri and all over South India and Vrindavan and so forth. But that circle, Gormandala, is um, not different from Mathura Mandala the circle of Krishna's pastimes on the other side of Bharat. These two are actually the same. To think that they're different, the uh, Gormandala and Mathura Mandala is what we call Dham Aparad, offense to the Dham. So that's a large topic, but with regard to this, the subject at hand, it's significant that Sridhar Maharaj made his appearance within the Gormandala. It's not that every great devotee does so, Indeed, uh, it's sometimes questioned why some of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's eternal associates did not appear 
in that circle. After all, he's Krishna, so his associates are the Parshadas, the eternal retinue, entourage of Krishna. So it is said that Krishna never leaves Vrindavan. So it's also true that his devotees never leave Vrindavan. Even Krishna appeared to leave Vrindavan. They didn't leave Vrindavan. How dear is Vrindavan? Aradhya Bhagavan Brajeshatanayastha Dhamma Vrindavana. This is the most worshipable place. It's non different from Krishna himself. Krishna went, of course, underground, disappeared from external view, appeared to go to Dwarka, outside of even Mathura Mandal, appeared to go outside of Vrindavan to, to Mathura. These are his expansions. Mathuresh Krishna, Dwarakesh Krishna. But Brajendanandan Krishna, is it Sanatana Goswami, Rupa Goswami, what does he say? Never steps a foot. Padam Gachati, outside of Vrindavan. So, hmm? huh. he goes underground, invisible. But it's not that his devotees who think he went to Mathura, think he went to Dwarka, go chasing after him. So they're always in Vrindavan, this is the point. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes to this world, he appears in Navadvip. Why not all of his associates are there also? The answer is what? Do you know the answer? Timothy. Why don't all the associates appear in Navadvip or in Gormandal? Because his mission is to distribute that sweetness of Krishna Leela. It is Audarya Leela, to outreach. So some of them appear outside for that purpose. Still, we like to think it is auspicious to make one's appearance there, and such is the case with Om Vishnu Padbhakti Rakshakshita Devva Swami Maharaj, appeared in Hapaniya, which is apparently within the Godamandala. He appeared in a very elevated, socially speaking, Brahmin family of Bhattacharjas, and his, uh, both his father's side and mother's side were decorated with the title Bhattacharya, Socially speaking, as I say, very elevated, Brahminical caste. But they were smartas, and they hated Gaudiya Vaishnavas. <laughs> and the smartas are very socially conscious, to the point that often the, the spiritual reality, which transcends the social strata, becomes obscured in their lives and they inordinately place stress on social status over spiritual substance. After all, they are Brahmins, and Brahmins are the upper rim of the social uh, order, and uh, smart to Brahmins, very sophisticated group, very uh, religious. And uh, Mahaprabhu's religion, if you will, is, uh, is more than a religion, really. It's so transcendental to dharma, being constituted of prema-dharma, that it appears adharmic. You understand the term? Who can cite a verse from Bhagavad Gita or somewhere for evidence of this idea? What? Oh, that's one, yeah, I wasn't thinking of that. That requires an explanation, though. Hmm? Krishna says in the ninth chapter of the Gita, sometimes my devotees, like the gopis, who love me completely, they appear to be misbehaved by leaving their husbands and coming to meet me on a full moon night. In this way they appear to be irreligious, adharmic. But you should know, Arjuna, that if you glorify them, you become dharmic. So it is supra-religious, this prema-dharma. Just like if you go far enough to the right, you end up on the left, something like that. It looks adharmic, takes on that appearance. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching is a little difficult uh, to understand. We need a good guide for that and a good example. As much as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself set a good example, 
still it is difficult to understand. And some generations, indeed centuries, uh, after Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, then the ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, while alive, was fraught with a lot of misrepresentation. So it was thought by many people, but to speak of by the smartas, that this, if you don't have a caste, if you can't really show who you are significantly in the social order, or if who you are in the social order is very somewhat unbecoming, then you join Chaitanya's religion. You become a follower of him. And then you, you say you're better than, you've transcended the social order and, and so forth. So they very much attached to social religious conventions and an orderly religious society. They hated the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Sri used this very same word in describing this himself. My family hated the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. It's very shocking. <laughs> but he became a Gaudiya Vaishnav. And it's apparent from his description of his early life that he was certainly destined for a spiritual life more than a religious life. That means a life that transcends dharma. Even jnana transcends dharma, the social order of Varnashram. What to speak then of bhakti, which is the end of knowledge. Uh, what does he say? Krishna in the Gita, ninth chapter, Rajavidya Rajuguhyam. I'm talking about bhakti here, he says. This is in the ninth chapter. This is the king of knowledge. So, it was apparent, as I say, from his early life that he was destined for a spiritual life more than a, simply a socio-religious life. He uh, had uh, a good memory. In speaking about his early life, he could remember back to when he was a year and a half old. Try to do that yourself. It's not so easy. He remembers uh, an early earthquake in Calcutta at a year and a half and seeing the Sankirtan party down the road and insisting his father take him to the Sankirtan. This is of Mahabharu's people, though he hated them. These types of things. He was just in, like, preschool. He learned Mahabharat and Ramayana, and it made a strong impression upon him. He had a good capacity for remembering the religious texts and an affinity for studying. At a very early age, he began the study of Sanskrit. He was the eldest son because the first son died, I think, just after birth. So when his mother was pregnant with him, then two um, relatives stood outside the door chanting Sanskrit uh, mantras from the religious texts in order to protect him from any kind of inauspicious spirits, something like that. So he, he came into the world with the chanting of Vedic mantras. And in school he excelled and he always took the side of the ancient culture as opposed to the modern influence of the British and their way of looking at things, which was largely to explain away the profound insights of Indian religious culture as uh, nothing more than superstition. So he always took the uh, scriptural side and he was good at arguing. He developed uh, early an affinity for Ram, Ramchandra, who is the epitome of uh, moral life, dharmic life, and uh, very much uh, personification of sacrifice, sacrifice for dharma. In other words, even if it looks like it won't work out well, do the right thing. This is Ram Lila, Mariada. So he became very much uh, attracted to that, and he would always speak the truth. This was his habit. And very plainly, also, he once said in his later years, when I had the fortune to have his association in his Paramahamsa Lila, that I always afforded myself the luxury of being a plain speaker. And therefore, for the most part, I've lived alone. <laughs> but in the end, of course, so many people came. And we're all here, an extension of that. So it's a good policy. In the short term, it may not appear to be the best policy. We may perceive there will be some loss by pursuing this line of thinking, but we should not think like that. We should think for the Shreya, 
ultimate good, not the immediate good. When I was faced with the choice to pursue my acquired affinity for Sridhar Maharaj or to remain within ISKCON, which was a choice that ISKCON forced upon me about 20 years ago, then one uh, godbrother of mine told me, you know, if you go there, he is very old. He could die at any moment. And as soon as you go there, then your impeccable reputation in ISKCON, that will be lost. All the facilities that you have and everything here for preaching and, and all that will all be lost if you go there. And then he may be, go and you'll be left with nothing. When I heard that, I said, I'm definitely going, <laughs> without a doubt. I'm on a plane today. I'm going there. I told, even if he should pass from the world on my way there, I won't turn back. Having gone halfway, nobody knows yet. And I find out he passed away. I will still go. So we should live like that, do the right thing, best as we can understand it, with our head and feel it in our heart. So he conducted himself like this throughout his life. And very quickly in his life, he, uh, as I was mentioning, he developed affinity for devotion, religious life, and more than just in terms of social-religious convention, real and deep interest in the meaning of the scripture. He described himself as having a very good capacity for reading and understanding what was written there. Reading very closely, he said, maybe a little slowly, but catching everything. And also hearing. He could hear, someone would speak about religious topics and understand the gist of it. As I said, he had affinity for Ram. He was initiated, of course, in the fam through the family as a Brahmin. So he chanted the Brahma Gayatri. And uh, he heard that if you chanted Brahma Gayatri 432 times a day, that there would be a special effect. So he did that for a long time. He chanted the Brahma Gayatri 432 times a day. At one point he said he chanted it a thousand times. And he got Vishparup Darshan. Vishvarup Darshan is mentioned in Bhagavad Gita. The vision of the world as the form of the Lord. So in his early life, he had many religious experiences. In fact, he said chanting the Brahma Gayatri and listening to the words, he got some feeling from that at one point. And the feeling was such that everything in the world became vacant. Hmm? He saw the, the futility, that is to say, of material life. So he was naturally already somewhat detached, but that profound experience very much moved him in his life. He said, I lost my balance after that. What am I? What is the meaning of life? What is it for? Previous to that, as I say, he was already inclined towards renunciation. He had a habit in the home of eating only rice and one vegetable. Who can guess what it is? Bitter melon. Bitter melon, yeah. Maybe neem leaves, <laughs> something like that. It's very bitter, mixing it with rice. His mother was so disappointed. That was all he would eat. And he had another habit also, peculiar habit. This is from childhood. He would only eat what was put on the plate. He would never take seconds. And because whatever was put on his plate, in his heart, he would offer it to Bhagwan. Then he would take the prasad. This was his habit. It's said that, he mentioned that um, after his father died, apparently there was some custom that you would not wear shoes for a year or use an umbrella. The umbrella is common in the heat of the sun of Calcutta. As part of the... Um, extended ritual of, of mourning, something like that. So he expanded the ritual, the austerity really. No shoes, no umbrella, and one, one cloth only. He only wore the same cloth and one cloth for a whole year. So he was naturally very inclined towards renunciation. His father marked this in him, of course, before he passed away, and he was very concerned. He was concerned on two accounts. One, 
His son had a strong leaning towards renunciation. And before his father passed away, he had developed an affinity for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's group. His affinity was for Ram, but in school he met a fellow who was very influenced by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's doctrine. And he heard that doctrine, and he understood that the sacrificing, that self-sacrifice of Ram, that Ram exemplifies so much, was present in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and something more. And of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was very moral, being a sannyasi and very strict in his adherence to the sannyas, to the extreme, that he frightened other sannyasis even. So Sridhar became attracted to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Still, he was not very much attracted to Krishna. His attraction moved from Ram to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Radha. Radha was also a good example of sacrifice in many respects. But Krishna, the enjoyer, he still has uh, not as much affinity for him or understanding. But anyway, the fact that he wasn't interested in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, this was not very pleasing to his father. And the fact that he had a leaning towards renunciation also disturbed him because he was the eldest son and he wanted his son to marry. So at the time that he was passing from the world, he called for his son and of course his son knew what his father was going to ask him. And you don't refuse your father in that culture and what he asks you as his last wish. My dear son, as my last wish, I'm leaving the world. I ask you, of course, marry, that you will marry. So he knew his father would ask him, but of course he could not not go to the bedside. And so father asks, I want you to marry. That is my last request. That means that it will carry on the family. Their children will be born and children will help to take care of the, the mother, his wife, and so forth and so on. All these things. That the whole thing will just perpetuate. That you will remain in samsara and be religious. <laughs> so, what to do? He was accustomed to always telling the truth. He couldn't say no, really, and deny his father his last request. Neither did he feel he could lie to him. So he said, to the best of my ability, I'll try. <laughs> he said he gave a modified reply. But as fate would have it, at any rate, he did marry. It came to pass that he married. But he only remained married for six years. It so happened that his interest in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was growing. And he met a fellow who, I believe he was considered to be the uh, Subhash Chandra Ghosh? Bosh. Uh, considered this fellow his guru. Sridharmarsh met him. And the fellow talked to him about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's doctrine and uh, he was impressed with Sridharmarsh's answers and uh, his conduct and so forth. So he read his poem. He told him three things. You will become self-realized in this life. You will engage in widely circulating harikata and you will leave the world at 93. All of those things happened met this fellow in the context of searching for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission. He wanted a real guru. He was looking for a real guru. And another fellow he met in his search, he spoke to him about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission. He said, yes, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's ideal frame, that is the highest. But we cannot go there immediately. So what we should do is first we should learn the renunciation of the Buddha. Then we'll join the school of Shankar and learn the Vedanta of Shankar. And then when we become schooled in this way in Gyan, then we can follow Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who's beyond all, the, all these. So Sridhar Maharaj replied to him, that's a very interesting concept that you have. The only thing is that it's not what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught. He didn't teach we, we should first become Buddhists, then monists, then devotees. He told us to do Nams and Kirtan. So the fellow was astounded and silenced. He began to cry. Sridhar said, Can you recommend a guru for me? The fellow himself was kind of thinking he would be Sridhar guru. So he was embarrassed and humbled. So he suggested another fellow. So Sridhar went in pursuit of that fellow, but could not find him. Instead, he came across a poster announcing Gaudiya Math was having a function. So he thought, that, Oh, these must be Chaitanya's people. So he went there, and there he met the great Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. He was married, as I mentioned, still at this time. 
He met Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he met his leading disciples, and he liked these Gaudiamath people. He said they were a no-nonsense group. Only what it was in Shastra, they studied that very carefully and thought about that, and they moved in, a, in accordance with that kind of guidance. And quickly they liked to expose the, the nonsense of others, Aurobindo, Ramakrishna, and so on. So he was attracted to them, and they had good character also. And so he would come and sit and uh, listen, and one day he wanted to talk directly to Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. So he went, sat at the door, and looked for his opportunity to go in. And someone came, an older devotee, and said to him that, what are you doing here? He says, I want to go and see your Guru Maharaj. He said, no, you cannot do like that. You must get an appointment and, and uh, shoot him away. So he said, at that time, thought I thought, a little harsh. The dealings are a little harsh. Maybe I shall not stay here. But then he said, I thought further, I, that if they were to treat me like a king here and put me on a throne, but the real truth was not here, I should not stay. But if they disrespect me, and treat me even harshly, but the real truth is here, I should stay. Thus far I have not found that the real truth is not here. In fact, I suspect that it is. So this way he stayed involved, coming. And then his opportunity came. He was on the roof, perhaps, of the what was then the rented facility they had in Calcutta. And Saraswati Thakur came onto the roof. So he was in the corner. Saraswati Thakur was there with one disciple. So he turned to that disciple and said, Does that young man have a question? Who is he? And does he have a question? So he was told who he is. This is so by the name and all he could understand, oh, he's a high-class boy in a social order, young man. Of course, he had been coming also. So he was not entirely, Sarasati Thakur, unaware of him, but he asked, does he have any question? So the secretary asked, do you have any question for Guru Maharaj? He said, no, I have no question. So he told, no, he has no question. So then Prabhupada asked, well, does he have some purpose for coming here? Then he said, no, I have no purpose for coming here, only to bathe in the grace of you people. This is my only purpose. So then he came back and told, hey, this is his purpose. You know, he has no purpose, only to bathe in the grace of Gaudiamath people. He said, anyway, you tell him to come here. <laughs> so he said, I think that Prabhupada was a little charmed by my responses. And then he spoke with him, preached to him. He was so charmed. And then he thought, I want to join them. And to join them means to join the mission, to enter the mission, to become a renunciate in the mission. That was his idea, because it was a mission of renunciates. I want to join them, be part of the, this uh, preaching circle. He said, but I have my wife. Then he thought, he said, he thought, if my wife were to die, I would join in a moment. Three days later, his wife died unexpectedly, got some disease and died. In those days, of course, medicine was not so available and doctors and so forth. She died. He was shocked. He thought, it is my opportunity. Mother was still alive. So thoughts will come. Yes, but mother's still here. What to do? I'm the eldest son. He was one of, I believe, six children, four of whom later became his disciples. He continued going to the Mat. His mother became ill, and the word came. He had been invited to a festival in Mayapur, and the news came his mother was ill. He had to make a choice. He chose to go to the festival in Mayapur. See how strong now his leaning towards devotion and missionary life was, had developed, how strong it was. He thought, anyway, if I go, it will not change anything to see my mother. It will not change anything. She will die. And then you remember what a fellow, the fellow in school who talked to him about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu initially had said. He found it curious that while they were talking once, the fellow spoke of his father. He said, yes, that gentleman, he told me this and that. And he said, why are you, said, why are you addressing your father as that gentleman? That is inappropriate. He's your father. He said, yes, it's true what you say. He is my father. In one sense, it is inappropriate. But in a broader sense, he's just a gentleman. And there have been other gentlemen who have been my fathers. He's just a person, in other words, in the world. 
Now these thoughts came again on him strongly. He thought, I'll go to Godiamath. Prabhupada has invited me. He went, his mother died, participated in the festival, and it was so nice. And afterwards, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur was speaking with a group of people, and he said, I have one request of you all. I've invited you here. You've come for Krishna's seva. My request is don't go home. Stay with me. Stay with us in this life of service. So he was charmed by that. He talked to two sannyasis, that I'm thinking of joining, but my mother, I guess during the festival, he got, it was planned for some days, he got news the mother had died. Two younger brothers were concerned. They came to the mouth to pick him up. I guess they came with the news of his mother's death. Two sannyasis preaching to him. He asked what he should do. They said, you should join immediately. Saraswati Thakur in his lecture had said, I asked you to stay with me, and I know you'll have different excuses, but I say this to you, even if your excuse is that your house on, is on fire, pretty good reason for leaving. Let it burn. That's my request. Let it burn. The whole world is burning down. Leave it. As we said last night, we know the world is burning up, but we think our room is still okay. It's warm even. It's not bad. It's comfortable. Maybe a little smoke sometimes. <laughs> but I can open the window. No. It will all be ashes. So he joined that day. He never left. Became a member of Gaudiya Mat, 1926. He was given different services and uh, to go with the Sankirtan party. And it became apparent that he had a very good knack for speaking, harikata, preaching, a good command of the philosophy and a capacity to represent it in speech. He was given service for collecting. They would go and beg door to door and so forth, preach to people. And often the begging was rather um, kind of indirect. A little flattery, a little propaganda. Our guru is living in Mayapur. He eats only Tulsi leaves uh, and this kind of thing. And we are coming and begging and uh, give some donation. and Some r rice would be the donation or dal, 50-pound bags, 100-pound bags, this kind of thing. So often the begging was a little indirect and Patrita Marsh's nature, as I've already explained, was always to say the plain truth, rather uncompromising. And so it became apparent to some of the preachers that he was not so good at collecting. <laughs> the better that he be, speak Harikata. This was brought to the attention of Saraswati Thakur. So he became engaged in that, even before he was a sannyasi. And in 1930, he was given sannyas. One of the few, 18, 17 or 18, who were given sannyas directly by Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. At that time, he became Bhakti Rakchak Sridhar. Sridhar is the sannyas name. Bhakti Rakak is the title. It means the protector of bhakti, the guardian, as it became nicely translated in English years later by some of our group, godbrothers of mine who had taken shelter of him, as I did, the guardian of devotion. And it came to pass that in the later years of his life, this title was so fitting in terms of how he ministered to us after the disappearance of our Gurudev. Om Vishnupad Desi Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. But widely he preached in Gaudiya Math as a sannyasi. He became in charge of the one or two different moths at different points. As I mentioned, other than that, he helped to found the um, Madras Math and um, was involved in the, the program of establishing the footprints of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that Bhaktisiddhanta started, installing footprints worshipable footprints of Mahaprabhu wherever he went on pilgrimage in South India. He preached rather rather widely in those days in, in Gaudiya Math and uh, at the same time spent uh, considerable time in the personal association of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. In fact, when the idea came for preaching in the West, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur selected Sridhar Maharaj to go to the West to preach. He said, in him I have one disciple who can never be converted. I feel safe that the Siddhanta that I have come to give is in good hands, in the hands of Sridhar Maharaj. He was very good in Sanskrit composition. He had composed some nice prayers. One very nice prayer in glorification of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. And when Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur read it, he said, 
Sridhar Maharaj has not written this. This has been written by the hand of Bhakti Vinod himself. I find that Bhakti Vinod has appeared in the song of Sridhar Maharaj. This brought some attention to him on the part of his godbrothers. Something, attention, position, prestige, that he had a, had a very inborn and natural disdain for. We mentioned yesterday in our discussion in the morning, what? That pratishta, this is the root of all anarthas. If you can get rid of pratishta, all anarthas will go away. So he was born without pratishta, practically. He was asked to go to the West, but he didn't go. Some of my godbrothers said, just see. His guru asked him to go to the West, he refused to go, he's useless. They misunderstood. Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta asked him to go, he said, I do not think I am the best one amongst us, Guru Maharaj. Of course, if you insist, I will go. But I do not have a very... Others in our group have a better command of English than I do. I do not understand the intonation of the Westerners very well. And I'm not accustomed to mingling in, with the broader section of people, but keeping in a smaller section. And furthermore, your company is very valuable. And I want to spend as much time in that company personally as I can. So Saraswati Thakur was charmed by that. He said, ah, you stay here. He selected another one to go. Actually, if any Gaudiamath Sannyasi, Acharya, comes to preach in the West, for the most part, they'll be very careful who they select to go. Because there's a, a sense that if he goes to the West, he'll have some success in preaching and he'll be overcome by Pratishta. When Bhaktivalab Tirtha Maharaj first came to the West at the request of Bhaktipramod Puri Goswami Maharaj some years ago, he brought only householder disciples with him, householder men, three or four of them. He didn't bring any sannyasis or brahmacharis because he was afraid that they would come back and they would be, have a reputation. He has gone to the West and preached and this would go to his head. So to protect his brahmacharis and sannyasis from Pratishta. He did not allow them to go. Householders would not get as much prestige because they're householders. So they have some also already involvement in the, in the world and, and whatnot. So the fact that Sridhar Marsh had no interest whatsoever in going other than if Guru Marsh ordered as service is a further indicative. No Pratishta. He was known for this. He, he used to call himself a backward-pushing man. I'm a backward-pushing man. I like to stay in the background. I told him once, but you are pushing yourself so far in the background, off stage, that you've come out on the other side. Everyone's looking at you. You have to turn around and accept it. I said, just like Mahaprabhu, he returned to Bengal from Puri, and Nimai Pandit, who'd become Sri Krishna Chaitanya, had converted the king of Puri to his new religion. This was a fledgling new religion as it was looked at in Nadia. The chanting of Krishna Nam out loud. Even the Hindus objected to this. When you speak of the Muslims, who tried to shut it down. At the request of the Hindus, at the complaint of the Hindus, Chandkazi wanting for religious plurality and peace, tried to shut down the Sankirtan. Now, this young boy, only 25 years old, has become Sri Krishna Chaitanya, a sannyasi. He's gone to Puri, and the news has come that the Raj of Orissa, Pratap, powerful Prataparudra, has become converted. He's become a disciple of Chaitanya, Sri Krishna Chaitanya. Now this Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Arnimai Pandit, is returning to Bengal. What an opportunity! What was the feeling of the Dambasis, like Krishna returning to Vrindavan? after going to Mathura. So throngs of people were following him everywhere. It is said when he crossed the Ganga, so many people crossed following him that it was a sea of people and others walked on their heads to cross over. He was in hiding at the house of uh, Vidya Vachaspati. He came out on the balcony and thousands of unlimited people started chanting, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Jai Gaur Chandra, Jai Gaur Chandra. He turned to Shiva Stockman and said, What are they saying? 
Jai Gorachandra. They should say Jai Krishna. Srivastakur said to him, You are like the sun who after rising tries to hide himself. It's not possible. Go back out there. Accept it. We know who you are. So I gave this example. I think he was amused by that. You've pushed yourself so far in the background that you've come into the foreground and everyone, all, all attention is on you. This was his nature. No desire to be in the front. Always to push others forward. Give regard to, respect to others. And deep understanding of Shastra. Deep scriptural wisdom. He used to spend his later years simply sitting, going over a few verses from Bhagavatam in his head, thinking about the meaning. Even he was surrounded by some disciples. It wasn't until the disappearance of Prabhupada that some disciples of Prabhupada came to him at Prabhupada's suggestion. I was with Prabhupada in 1977 in September, only about a little over a month before he left the world, and one of his disciples ventured to ask that, Prabhupada, if you should leave us, how will we perform the funeral? So he said, well, that you can talk to Narayan Maharaj is in Mathura, he knows these things. So that same devotee who asked, we were quite surprised to hear that, because we were used to probably giving all the answers, but with regard, I said, you can find that over here. He used to tell us often that, uh, well, sometimes you could go to learn at Gaudiya Math about deity worship and these rituals and this kind of thing. They know about this. So then uh, it was actually Tamal Krishnamarsh. I was massaging Prabhupada's feet at the time. He said, uh, Prabhupada, after you leave, is there anybody else we can consult with? Then Prabhupada said, for philosophy, my god-brother, Vyashira Marsh of Navadvip. So Prabhupada opened the door to that, and it was after his departure, immediately after his departure, in 1978, in Mayapur, where the Iskand devotees would meet and annually, that they went and began to discuss with Sridhar Maharaj about the succession and how it should go on. They, they authored a paper called In Consultation with Higher Authorities. So for some years, four or five years, six years, devotees were going to Sridhar Maharaj, taking counsel, some were understanding it, some were not. And then those that didn't understand, who were largely in power in ISKCON, they made an, issued a, a mandate that no one could hear from Sridhar Maharaj because his uh, spirituality seemed to threaten their own position as they saw it. It was a miscalculation on their part, unfortunately. I understand they made some apology for that in subsequent years. But at any rate, some of us were then in a position of having developed affinity for Sridhar Maharaj. So we, we made a choice. We keep our affinity for Sridhar Maharaj. We don't abandon our heart. And so there was a great necessity at that time. And many of the things that Sridhar Maharaj would ponder, as I said, sitting alone, thinking about different verses that had never come out before, due to the necessity that arose at that time for nourishment, they came out. And even Sripad Govinda Maharaj, the foremost disciple of Sridhar Maharaj, his, his successor, and dear most, uh, since just as a young boy at 17, had joined him and uh, he was the chosen successor in the disciplic line. He used to marvel at the things that Guru Maharaj was coming out with that he had never come out with before, things that the necessity of Prabhupada's disciples was bringing down from him. That we would sit on the veranda two hours in the morning two hours in the evening, and he was in his later 80s at that time, up until 93. And one time he, he sat and he said, hmm, if I had some men like you, we were all men sitting there at the time, ladies would go also. He was very gracious to them. And very also he was very, um, gave very good and balanced advice to the men. I'll give you an example. One of my godbrothers took sannyas from him, a number of them did, but one in particular, when he came to take sannyas, it was arranged, and just, just before it, Sridhar Maharaj called him and asked him a question. He said, so, today you will take sannyas. Yes, Guru Maharaj, by your mercy. He said, so, are you prepared to preach to the ladies also? You know, because usually you hear something else. Are you prepared to stay away from the ladies? Are you prepared to speak to the ladies also? That won't be a problem for you, in other words. This is a balanced idea. He was surprised to hear that kind of instruction. But anyway, we were men sitting with him at the time. 
so many nice things have just come out, drawn down. He was giving us 50% of the credit for what was coming out because we were so eager to hear. He said, if only uh, 40 years ago, when I founded my moth in 1942, at that time, Gaudiya Moth was experiencing some disappointment. Prabhupada had left, and uh, questions of succession were looming, and there were problems, there was some fighting, disagreement. Some stalwarts were going home. Chidamar tried to stay out of it as much as possible, but they would try to draw him in with his balanced advice. And at one point he, he left and decided to stay alone. He said, I began my heart service at that time. Got a small tract of land in Navadweep that one of his godbrothers bought for him. And he secured a, a revenue of two rupees a month. And for a short time, one of his brothers who was working sent him 10 rupees a month. He was living alone with the Govardhan Shila. He said, I began my heart service at that time. Gradually some people came. He had a policy. He did not want to initiate. Other godbrothers were initiating, but he was not, did not feel himself fit. Prabhupada, my Guru Maharaj, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Prabhupada, his sister, we used to call her Pishima, auntie. Her initiated name was Baba Tarini. She wanted to take initiation from Sridhar second initiation, because she got Harinam from Prabhupada, Bhakti Siddhanta, but he left the world before she got Mantra Diksha. So she wanted to take second initiation from Sridhar After all, she knew Sridhar because Sridhar lived at her house, at Prabhupada's house in Calcutta, for six years. Prabhupada had two apartments in Calcutta, I think number what, 11 and 12, 6 and 7, I forget the numbers, and Sita Kanto Banerjee Lane. And Prabhupada housed Sridhar Maharaj there for six years while he was involved in the preaching. Then he withdrew, as I say, he went to, to Navadweep. But in order to get a place of residence in Navadweep, he went to Ek Chakra, which is the place of Nityananda Prabhu's appearance. Nityananda Prabhu was the guardian of the Dham in some respects, and the, from him that he is Sadhini Shakti, the Dham expands. So he made a petition in his heart in prayer to Nityananda Prabhu that please allow me to become a resident of Navadeep. And he got a message back. The message was, "What you ask for my mercy, but you don't give your mercy to anyone. So then he thought, oh, Nityananda Prabhu is telling me I have to initiate. So he thought I'd strike a bargain with him. You let me live in the Dham, and I won't go here and there chasing after disciples, but if any sincere people come, I won't turn them away either. So he made a compromise. They got residents in the Dham. So with a humble beginning, he wrote a verse. He called his place Sri Chaitanya Saraswati Mahath, and he wrote a verse. This moth is famous all over the world. The flag of Sri Chaitanya Saraswati Mahath is uh, flying, and people from all over the world are serving in relation to this moth and so forth. And there was no, nobody there. He had the vision. Many years later, when a person of, of, of my type came under his shelter, disciples of Prabhupada came under his shelter, then the significance and the implications and the prediction, really, of those shlokas that he wrote that are on the flag of the Chaitanya Saraswati Math, they came to pass. They were fulfilled. People from all over the world coming to hear what's coming out of that Math and to serve that ideal. We are all sitting here today also. So at any rate, he was sitting with us on the balcony after something very wonderful had come down from him in his speech. And he said, if only 40 years ago I had some young men like you with the kind of interest that you have in Krishna consciousness, we could have done something. So I felt we should do something. <laughs> anyway, we're still young. We should do something. What he's come to give, and our Dikshaguru, our most beloved, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, has sent us to his doorstep. They were close friends, very intimate. They lived together for many years. Prabhupada said, everything I know about Krishna consciousness, I learned from Sridhar Maharaj. He said, when one of his disciples was in India for some time and Prabhupada was in the West, and he was feeling some need of association, he wrote to Prabhupada, is there anyone I can associate with in the capacity of a Siksha Guru in your absence? 
And Prabhupada wrote to him that you can stay with my godbrother Biyashira Maharaj. Or to speak of the benefit you can get from him, I consider him myself. I consider him as my Siksha Guru. When they lived together in Calcutta, in Prabhupada's house, Sridhar Maharaj was writing his Gita commentary, and Prabhupada was writing his. He was a sannyasi at the time, and Prabhupada was a householder. So naturally Prabhupada had regard for him, and he was a great reservoir of scriptural insight and philosopher. And So Prabhupada learned many things from him. He didn't hide the fact. When Prabhupada was in the West and it looked like he might die, had suffered his first uh, heart attacks on the shore, he already had him on the boat, of course, he wrote to Sridhar Maharaj and asked his guidance, I put my question before you at your lotus feet. As he wrote to Govinda Maharaj, he said, please ask Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj this, it may come that I may die soon. Shall I return to Vrindavan to pass there, or shall I die here in the preaching field? Whatever you say, I will follow. Sridhar Maharaj wrote back, this is your Guru Dattadesh. This is the, your field given by the, your Guru, Bhakti Siddhanta, for preaching. And if you die there, that is as good or better than dying in Vrindavan. If Sridhar Maharaj had said, go to Vrindavan, we might not be here today. We have some debt to him for that advice. Prabhupada took the advice, some encouragement. Not all Gadar brothers were encouraging. But Chidamarsh was encouraging to the extreme. And he regarded Prabhupada's campaign so highly that he once said, he was once asked, what is your opinion of Iskon? He said, Iskon? He said, it should go the length and breadth of the world, and conquer everywhere. This is the mission of Swami Maharaj Prabhupada, who distributed nectar as if it was water. Water you can spill here or there, who will say anything. Nectar, that's another thing. He took nectar and distributed it like water everywhere. He said, another time he was asked what his conception of ISKCON was, he gave it. He said, only I disagree with the present administration, that's all. But that will change, he said, perhaps. But when he was asked what was the difference between himself and Prabhupada, this is how we do Because he had said, those of us were coming, he said, you should know that Swami Maharaj and I, we are not one in every respect. We have some differences. If you can live with that and still listen to me, then fine. But what he was saying is, don't expect me to answer all the questions exactly the same way as Prabhupada, Swami Maharaj did. I had my own thinking. Of course, there's oneness. It's the same teaching, same Siddhanta, but I've lived my whole life independently. If you want to know me, know me as I am. I'm not here just to ratify whatever you think, to give ratification for that, validation for that. Someone has written a book I was shown. It was said, said that Prabhupada's disciples, they should only have a Sikshu Guru if that Sikshu Guru says everything exactly the same as Prabhupada. The immediate question one would ask is, well, if he's going to say everything that's Prabhupada said, then why do you need him? <laughs> no, he's going to say it a little differently. And what's going to be the difference? The difference is going to be, he's going to say it a little differently to see how well you understood it. Do you follow me? And when he says it a little differently, but it's really the same thing, but it's said a little different with a little different vocabulary and so forth and so on, and you can't recognize it, then you have not understood what your guru said in the first place. you follow? Just like I remember I was flying on a plane once and I heard the music in the background was the Beatles playing. And I thought, oh, it's the Beatles. Of course, it wasn't, the, as they called them, the, the, the fabulous four, but it was, it was orchestrated music. And, but I thought, it's the Beatles. I didn't think, it's a symphony. It's the Chicago Symphony. So like that. Different but same. They cannot be different. But may sound a little different, may look a little different. Let's test us. What do we know? What have we understood? So he said, what is the difference between me and Swami Maharaj? When I asked, because he said, you should know, we are not one in all respects. Don't expect that you're going to get exactly the same answer from me. It might be a little different. Try to understand it. So then someone posed the question, what is the difference between you and Swami Maharaj? Because you said you're not one in all respects. He said, oh, the difference. He is a big man. 
He has gone everywhere. <laughs> he has distributed nectar as if it is water. So on and so forth. He glorified him in so many ways. And then he said, and me? I'm a small person, always staying in the background. I like to think of the deep meaning of the scriptures, and this is my preoccupation. If I can help his mission in some small way, he used to ask me to do that, then my life will be successful. This is how he thought of himself. And naturally, he loomed very large for us to hear such things. No one, I never heard anyone glorify my guru more profoundly, in a more meaningful and poetic way than the way in which Sridhar glorified him. You can take all the Vyasa Puja books together that is published in Iskon of all the, you know, they do one every year, all the offerings together a thousand times. You won't find anything as deep, heartfelt, and as profound as what we heard coming from Sridhar Marsh. Have you heard? Prabhupada's Shaktivesh, this concept. I believe he is Shaktivesh. Now they're all saying, don't listen to Sridhar Marsh. Prabhupada is Shaktivesh. You should not hear from him. You should hear from him. But the very idea that he was Avesh, and what kind of Avesh further, as it all came from Sridhar Maharaj's mouth. He was asked to say something about the disappearance of Prabhupada. You can read about those things. They're published in the books that published his talks, and you'll see such affection he had, such a profound sense of the contribution of Prabhupada. Once when I came for his darshan, and, uh, sometime after I'd been out of Iskon, and one, two, three of my godbrothers who were leading men and they were gurus in Iskon. They had left their post. These were difficult times. I knew about it because it's hard to get away from Iskon, even if you try. They're everywhere. It's not a bad thing. And so I, I knew this. And Sridhar Maharaj, I came to see him. He said, So, Tripurama, any news from the West? You're coming? Is there any news? And I knew. He knew the news of this, he was seeking some confirmation. Is it really true that so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, they have left? And I knew he didn't really want that confirmation. He was hoping that there would be some other, no, it's not true. I could feel his heart. So I avoided giving any confirmation or avoided saying I knew anything about it. I said, oh, this happened, and that happened. One devotee, Panchadavida Maharaj, who was a disciple of Prabhupada, a sannyasi, he had come somewhat due to my influence. He had respect for me and my insights and that I had gone. It affected him. I shared some things with him and he came to the side of Sridhar Maharaj. He was coming, just coming at that time. So I said, oh, Panchadavida Maharaj has come under your, the sway of your affection and good guidance. I tried to give him good news, but he knew. So he said, is it true that so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so have left? And the place that I was coming from, California, one of those... Godbrothers was in California, and I was not in Iskon at the time. I had had to leave due to my affinity for Sridhar Marsh. And they were celebrating in, in that area in California that this particular guru had left. Granted, he may have caused them some difficulty, but that he, he that he'd left the mission. When I said, yes, it's true, they left, he said, they've given up their shraddha. Well, I'm not sure if they entirely lost their shraddha, but they've, they've left the mission. And he began to cry. I knew I was in the right place. And I could only flash back. They're celebrating over there. Huh. He's crying here. He could understand the plight of the soul. He said to us once, I see you as students, as grandchildren. And really I do, he said. Really I do. So... In this way, he had realized compassion for the jiva and to think that a jiva soul had come to Mahaprabhu within the fold of Mahaprabhu's mission. He knew the significance of that and the thought that he would go outside of that and lose hope. He could not bear that. So I already knew I was in the right place hearing from him, but witnessing that, I was, it was such confirmation. This is what we come to Krishna consciousness for, for, this kind of association, this kind of guidance, this kind of love and affectionate dealings. He always taught us, be generous in your dealings with one another. Try to understand what is the value of this Mahabharata's teaching. If people come close within this, 
be generous with them. Mahaprabhu is known as Mahabodhanayavatar, the most generous avatar. We should be generous with one another. Be a little flexible. I noticed, at least in my perception, people from this part of the world, you seem to be a little flexible. At least those of you who are here. <laughs> Maybe we have something in common, I don't know. I tend to be flexible. I've learned you have to be flexible in life. <laughs> especially in spiritual life. As much as you have to be firm, you have to be flexible also. Many things I had to endure. <laughs> so, I see uh, you all have some capacity for that. I'm attracted to that. So we should stay together and try to represent this kind of feeling. That feeling of Sridhar Maharaj, that was the feeling of Prabhupada also. How flexible he had to be, how generous he was in his dealings. Sometimes he's depicted as being very strict and everything he's, is written in stone nothing can be changed it must be like this the fact of the matter is he was very flexible he was ready to turn left or right at any time in fact he got off the boat in Boston he said I don't know whether to turn left or right he followed the lead of Krishna if one of his disciples would say Prabhupada I think there should be a temple in Purvo Prabhupada would say yes you're chanting you're sincere Krishna must be guiding you he must want a temple there Go and start one. <laughs> Me? Yes, you. <laughs> Krishna gave you the inspiration. You should do it. If we are going to follow Krishna, we have to be flexible because he says, I'm over here. We go over there. He says, now nah, I'm over here. We cannot say, you said to come here. Now you've gone there. To go there also. To cast ourselves into the hands of Krishna, where he will take us, we cannot say. We just know it's good. It will be good for us. And do that practically means to put ourselves in the hands of someone who has some real feeling for Krishna. And that should show up in these two ways. That he will be very strict, but very flexible at the same time, very generous. So we find that in our lineage, in the persons of Om Vishnupad, Esi Bhaktivedanta Sami Prabhupada, and Om Vishnupad Bhakti Rakya Goswami Maharaj, whose day of uh, disappearance from the world we are remembering today. Any question? I remember reading the teachings of Sridhar Maharaj uh, found in a book called Sri Guruna's Grace and I thought, you cannot get around this. This is just Krishna consciousness. This is what Krishna consciousness is. This is what we came for, I thought. Because to join him in those days was the greatest heresy. Some of my godbrothers had joined with him and had published the book. I read the book and I thought, and there were so many problems in this, and I thought, oh, this is the solution. I knew it would not be popular. I suspected, and I found out shortly afterwards just how unpopular it was. But um, I knew this, what's said here, what's written here, what he has spoken, everybody who wants Krishna consciousness will have to come to deal with this, to assimilate this. I said, so I can't wait for everybody. I've understood I must go there. And what's come to pass is that all those things he said, they've made their way into the society, international society of devotees. And so you can hear people speaking them in different organizations and institutions. They don't even know where they came from. True to Maharaj's nature of liking to keep in the background. What he has to say has gone everywhere. He's the Adi original Siksha Guru for uh, the whole international Gaudiya Vaishnav world. The very concept of the Sikshu Guru, that one can have a Dikshu Guru and a Sikshu Guru, took practical shape for the first time in the lives of all the international community of devotees in the person of Sridhar Marsh. Not that it wasn't written in the book, Sikshu Guru, but we had no real necessity to understand the term in terms of its, all of its ramifications and implications. We were disciples of Prabhupada and he was our Diksha Guru and our Siksha Guru. All the Siksha was coming from him. But with his disappearance and Sridhar Maharaj's Siksha, then the ramifications of the content of the Siksha Guru, that all came to bear. And in those days, to accept Sridhar Maharaj as a Siksha Guru was a heresy. That just goes to show how little the term, the concept of Siksha Guru, how poorly it had been understood or how much it had been misunderstood. They thought, oh, to 
to accept Sri Ramarsha as a Siksha Guru means that he's rejecting Prabhupada. So it's a very mis big misunderstanding. Nowadays, of course, it's popular to have a Siksha Guru. Oh, so-and-so is my Siksha Guru. Let's see. That, like they say, the, I say the original Sikshagur, the personification of the very precept, the concept. This is how, in, in many respects, one respect, he was used by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to, to help us to enter into a plural, the concept of a plurality of gurus, which is what Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita teaches us about. And in his own words, his own language, Siddharmarsh used to say that the place we are going it is a land of gurus. Everyone is guru there, even the particles of dust. So, any further thoughts, questions? Bhakti Rakshakshidadiv Goswami Maharaj ki jai. Pujapad Siddharmanaj Tirubhav Mamosapatiti ki jai. Guri Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai. Gaur Pramanande. Haribol.